Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have together to come and study your word. And I pray, O Lord, that you would bless us, baptize all of us with your Holy Spirit, that your truth may be made plain to every single one of us, that you would lead us and guide us and speak to us, O Lord, that your word may be alive in our hearts and our minds this morning as a result of your presence with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off by introducing to you a character, a person that maybe is not so familiar to everybody here, but his name is Bob Ingersoll, and he is one of the great infidels of history. He's famous for being an infidel, a person that tried to discredit the Lord, to say he didn't believe in God, to cast off all Christianity and any form of religion. And you, you know, friends, there are a lot of people out there that don't believe and they'll go out of their way to discredit the Bible and throw all sorts of insults at Christianity. And this man, he was a great influence on another such person whose name was Lou Wallace. Lou Wallace. And this man, he tried to write a story about Jesus and to make it as real as possible in every detail so that people would believe and that he wanted to add this extra detail that actually wasn't in Scripture in which Jesus was involved in an affair with Mary Magdalene. But you see, in order for him to write this story and to make it believable, guess what? he had to go back and study the Bible, to read the Bible, to make sure that he got those details correct, to make it believable. But you see, in doing this, whilst in his study of the Bible, guess what? He found the pearl of great price. He found Jesus. And that changed his heart and his life. And so in, in, instead of ending up writing about this horrible, made-up, fake story of Jesus, he ended up writing about Ben-Hur. And for those that don't know this great classic, it uplifts Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And you know, friends, I know someone like that back in Australia when, when I was younger and growing up there. And you know, when he was in high school, this person who ended up coming to our church, when he was in high school, this is what happened to him as well. He wasn't a Christian and he wanted to make a fool of his teacher who was a Christian. And so he went back and he read the Bible to study it and, and to read it, to, to look at it so that he could attack his teacher. And at the end, he ended up giving his life and his heart to Jesus and getting baptized into the church. You know, friends, why does the devil hate the Bible so much? I mean, he knows and this is the reason why he knows that it's the only book that truly reveals Christ, the only hope of man's salvation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He knows that it is the only book that has the power to change a man or a woman and give them power to live a victorious life in Christ. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so this 
this book, the scriptures, it's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's able to sanctify us. And you know, friends, there are people out there that have so much knowledge about the world. They have so much knowledge about, about nature and history and all these things, but they have so little knowledge about the Bible itself. People nowadays just are not familiar with the Word of God. There are TV programs out there that quiz people on sports and, and finance and politics and history. You know, one such game is Jeopardy. And you know, when it comes to questions upon the Bible, who was swallowed by a big fish? People have no idea. And yet these people are the ones that sit in judgment about the Bible. Let me give you a story about two senators, and I don't know it's, whether it's true or not. It's something that I, I heard and, and read about. And, uh, you know, it was two senators that had an argument about religion one day. And one said to the other, I bet you don't know anything about the Bible. I bet you $25 that you cannot repeat the Lord's Prayer. And so the other senator said, okay, I'll take the bet. And so the other said, all right, repeat it, say it then. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. And when he got through it, the other senator said, Okay, you got the money. I didn't think you knew it. You know, friends, it's the blind leading the blind out there. Many people today are condemning the Bible and they don't even know anything about it. Many people condemn the Bible because it condemns them and they want to hold on to their sin, and the Word condemns it. So they hate it, they despise it, they want to stay away from it. They do not like it. And so many people are unfamiliar with Scriptures. They're ignorant of the truths in the Bible. But you see, friends, we see in Scripture, in Psalms 119 and verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled. It's set in stone already. Matthew 24 and verse 35, the Bible says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. <clears throat> Thy word is settled. The word of God will not pass away. The word of God will not pass away before even heaven and earth passes away. And so, Friends, if earth and heaven are still here today, which they are, all you need to do is go out and jump on, this, on, the, on the cement or the soil or the grass that you're there, that is out there. All you need to do is look up into the heavens. And if they are still there, the Word of God is still relevant for each and every one of us. Even the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you've never heard of these Dead Sea Scrolls, they were some scrolls that were found in some clay jars and they contained the Word of God. And they have been preserved even up until our time today. And they, they are put on display in museums all around the world. This is one of the most comprehensive texts that we have of the Old Testament scriptures especially. And the most complete one is that of the book of Isaiah. It's 40 feet in length and it's 11 inches high. And right there in the middle of the scrolls, right there in the middle of that text, in the book of Isaiah, this is what we read. Isaiah 40 verse 8, The grass withereth away, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You know, friends, we might not see everything clearly in Scripture today. You know, there might be hooks of doubt that we can hang our doubts upon and hang our unbeliefs on. And you know, friends, I certainly don't claim to believe and uh, not believe, but to know everything. 
and no one can, you see. But look at what the Bible has to say about such things. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! You know, what God has revealed to us belong to us, yes, but we can't claim to know and understand every minuscule detail of the Word of God. And just because we don't, it doesn't give us um, credibility to just disbelieve and not believe whatever is written in there. Even in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, this is what the Scriptures say about itself as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and are unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You know, friends, there are people that don't understand the scriptures. In fact, all of us, there are parts of the Bible that we will not understand. But it doesn't mean that we don't have enough evidence to believe. We don't need to understand 100% of the scriptures in order to believe. And you know, friends, really, our ability to understand sometimes and, and believe is not always dependent so much upon our brains as upon our hearts. Why? You see, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, we're told, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. They're what? They're foolishness. Neither can he know them because they are what? Spiritually discerned. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And sometimes the infidel, the one who doesn't believe in God, that hates God, that is looking for things in the Scripture to condemn God, they go through it and they just don't understand. And so they take that as a point of reference to not believe at all. But you see, friends, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And if we really want to understand what the Scriptures say and what it means to us personally and how to apply it to our lives personally. All we need to do is pray and God will give us understanding. Yes, He will give it to us. And yet even then, we'll be learning for the rest of our lives. But just because we cannot understand, it doesn't mean it's wrong. For in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, we're told that the path of the just, those that are righteous, those that are upright, the path of them will be as the shining light. What happens? That shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Every day is just another opportunity to gather up more light and understanding of the Scriptures. And so just because where you're sitting right now today, wherever you are, just because you don't understand the Scriptures, it doesn't mean that they are not inspired. It doesn't mean that they're not God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Ghost. And so, friends, we got to continue to dig. But this morning, I'm not asking you to just simply believe me. What proofs, what evidence do we have about the authenticity and the and the and the spirituality and, the, and the, how all these things are inspired, inspirational proofs that we have from the Scripture. How do we know that it is God-breathed, that it is a message straight from the throne room of heaven? Well, we have Bible prophecy. 
in Isaiah 41, verses 21 to 23. This is what we're told. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. And the notice in the bold, show us the, show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. That's prophecy telling us what's to come in the future, what will come hereafter. And then we can believe. Then we can know that you are the true God. Paul Harvey, he predicted 250 major prophecies. And guess what? Only six came to pass. You know, friends, that doesn't sound like a true prophet to me. But the Bible, it's able to tell me about my past, my origin where I came from so that I can understand my purpose. Why it is, is it the world? Why is the world the way it is today? You know, the Bible's able to tell me about the present. What should I be doing with my own life? What kind of job and career should I pursue? Or even how I should live in the very present? It gives me the best prescription on how to live a healthy and optimum life. Also for the future, if I'm faithful, I have something to look forward to, something to hope for. We have prophecies, friends, of the recent past that have been fulfilled. And it's not just things that happened hundreds of years before. You know, friends, people say they can't understand the Bible, but yet we can understand tea leaves. We can understand rabbit's feet. We can understand four leaf clovers, or we can understand our, our, our palms and how it tells us about our future. But you know, friends, all those things we, that we say uh, are so easy to understand. And yet we look at the scripture, which is written in plain language for us to read and recheck and relook for us to understand and look properly. These things we say, nope, cannot understand. You know, people say that the world used to be flat. Did you know that? And this flat earth theory is coming around again. But did you know that people were excommunicated in the past for saying that the earth was round? Did you know that? But look at what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 22. Look at this. It is he that sitteth upon what? The circle of the earth. Even Job 22 and verse 14, the Bible says, thick clouds are a covering to him that he seeth not and walketh where? In the circuit of heaven. You know, hundreds and thousands of years before this flat earth theory ever came to pass, God knew. How did he know? Well, it's because he's the one that created the earth. He knew that it was round. He could go on the circuit of the earth and that circuit would bring him back to the same place. Why? Because he was the one that made it. It was round, not flat. People used to think that the moon was bigger than the sun. And of course, you know, as we sit on earth, sometimes we look at the moon and we see how close it can be. It wouldn't be difficult to imagine that. But look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. 
There are prophecies that we have in Scripture that make it so clear. And I want to just go through a few of them here this morning with you. Did you know that 700 years before the birth of Christ, there was a prophecy that was given to us that would name where he would be born, the exact location. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, of old, from everlasting. Friends, where was it prophesied where Christ would be born, the, the king of Israel, to be the ruler of Israel? It was right there in Bethlehem. And you know, friends, if you looked at this prophecy, right, if you read Micah, and if you and I were God, the wise thing to have done, what you should have done, is to choose a virgin right there that lived in Bethlehem, right? That would have been the logical choice. If I'm going to make a prophecy about, about the Savior being born in Bethlehem, well, I better look for a resident of Bethlehem, someone who lived there, someone who would never leave that place, someone who would grow up and all their life be there. You know, I can't relate to that. I've traveled all around the world, but there are some people like my wife who grew up in one house for 20 years, right? I can't fathom that. It doesn't make sense to me, but it would have been right to just choose someone who had grown up right there in that little town of Bethlehem all their life. But that's not what God did. He chose a virgin of Nazareth, which is about 120 kilometers away from Bethlehem. Well, nothing wrong with that. She still has time to move there, right? And you, you see, the, the safe thing for God to have done was to have gotten Joseph and Mary to move over to Bethlehem, right? Even when she was pregnant with the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's what she should have done. Mary, she should have gone up over with Joseph and moved back to the town of Bethlehem. But they didn't do that. One month would go by, two months would go by, three months, five months, seven months, nine months of pregnancy. The baby is ready to come out at any moment. The baby is due. Now, Mary needs to go over to Bethlehem. Otherwise, what? The Bible is a false. It's a lie. How would Mary be able to get over to Bethlehem in time? Back then, they didn't have any helicopters. They didn't have any planes. They didn't have any cars or ambulances. Nothing that would be able to get over 120 kilometers of rocky terrain in time. How would God be able to do that? And think about it. What kind of man would put his pregnant wife, nine months pregnant, on the back of a donkey and start trotting over to Bethlehem? I mean, it's better than walking, but the donkey is not exactly the most comfortable sort of thing to ride. I've ridden on a horse before, and I'm telling you, it is scary and it is not comfortable at all. What sort of man would put their nine months pregnant wife on the back of a donkey and walk over and ride over to Bethlehem? What kind of man could do that? Well, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible tells us, and it came to pass in those days 
that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The decree from Caesar Augustus would come to Joseph and he didn't care about Jewish women. He didn't care whether they were nine months pregnant or not. You either did what you were told or you're dead. And so Joseph, he had to go. He had no choice. And so even at nine months of pregnancy, off they go, 120 kilometers journey with a wife expecting a baby at any time. And when he finally got there, guess what? There were no rooms available. All the hotels were full, just like probably what happened a few weeks in Langkawi ago, right? When we were allowed to travel, the planes were full, the hotels were all packed out. I mean, Joseph, why would you do such a thing? Because he had to. Why? Caesar said so. No, it was God. It was God that said so, and out of Bethlehem, Micah told us a virgin would give birth to the Savior of this world. Now, friends, if you calculate the probability of this prophecy being fulfilled that was given 700 years before, this is the probability of it happening. Do you see that right there on the bottom of the, the screen there? It is one with a hundred zeros behind it. One times 10 to the power of a hundred Okay, we don't even have a word to describe how big a number this is. And it is virtually impossible for this to possibly happen. Do you understand that? For Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Now, we take these things for granted because we grow up singing it in Christmas songs or whatever it is. But to, to the infidel, they see the numbers. They see the figures. And you see, friends, when God says it will come to pass, it will come to pass. We can trust the Bible, friends, and we can have utmost confidence in that word. Let me give you another example. Ezekiel 26 and verse 7. Ezekiel 26 and verse 7. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings from the north with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. You see, when we read this text, we see here that God prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon would come and destroy Tyrus, this powerful city. And it was a wicked and immoral city. But you see, when this prophecy was given, people laughed at it. Why? because this was a great city and they could not understand how it would be laid in ruins. But guess what? Not long after that, their laughter would stop. Nebuchadnezzar would come from ba with Babylon and they would come and destroy it and lay it in ruins. And it was so totally ruined that the inhabitants of Tyre, the people that stayed at Tyrus, they moved away and lived elsewhere. And that's not all. Look at what else the Bible has to say about what would happen to the city of Tyrus. Same chapter, Ezekiel 26, and now we're going to read verses 12 to 14. And they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and make a prey of thy merchandise, 
And they shall break down thy walls and destroy thy pleasant houses. And then take note of this in the bold. And they shall lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water. And I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease, and the sound of thy harps shall be no more heard. And I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be no more, for I, the Lord, have spoken it, saith the Lord God. The city of Tyrus had been prophesied to be cast into the midst of the water. Did you see that? The timber and the stones and the dust, it would be cast into the midst of the water. But you know what, friends? That did not happen when Babylon came and destroyed the city of Tyrus. It did not happen. It was just a city in ruins, but not in the water. Does it mean that the Bible was only partially correct? Absolutely not. Why? You see, 250 years later, after Nebuchadnezzar had laid the city of Tyrus in ruins, Alexander the Great would come marching along. And as he was coming down, conquering everything in his path, he came to the city of Tyrus and it was already in ruins. But remember, the people, the inhabitants of Tyrus had moved away and set up another city. You see, he looked across the water. He looked out into the sea there and he saw a little island there. It was the remnants of the people of Tyre. They had gone and built a city on this island with a wall around it, and that's where they lived. And so when they saw Alexander the Great, instead of surrendering, they simply slammed their gates shut and they wouldn't surrender. They would not give in. And so what did Alexander the Great do then? You see, he asked his soldiers to build him a pathway, a road that would lead out to that island. But what are you going to build the road off? Well, that's where they went to the city of Tyre, where the city had lain in ruins. The old Tyre, as you can see there on the map, they went there and what they had of the remnants of that city that had lain there for 250 years, they picked up the stones, the columns, and they hauled the remnants of that city and dumped it into the water. The space between them and that island. And so they began to make a road out to that island. And after they had done that, after they had taken all those columns, all those stones, they went back and scraped up all the dust and rocks to make a pathway that would be smooth for his army, Alexander the Great's army, and the horses to walk across. And when they were done, 250 years after the prophecy of the destruction of the city of Tyre, now the second part of that prophecy would be fulfilled. The stones, the columns, the wood, the dust would lay in the midst of the water, in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea. You see, friends, God fulfills His word at the perfect time. When God speaks, you can count on it to be fulfilled. God is always true to His word. It will never lie. He will never lie. One more example. Matthew 11 and verse 23. The Bible says, And thou Capernaum, speaking of the city of Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, 
shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And today, friends, while you sit here listening, Capernaum sits in ruins on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It has never been rebuilt. One last example, the city of Jerusalem. This is what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew 23, 37 to 38. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under his, her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. When Christ said that, you see, friends, it didn't make any sense especially to those that believed in God, that were living there in Jerusalem at the time. You see, Jerusalem was at the height of its glory. Of course, it paled into comparison to Solomon's temple that was built hundreds of years before that. But you see, the domes of the temple were gold-plated. And the temple was refurbished with white marble that had been shipped from Rome by King Herod. It was one of the most beautiful things in the world at that time to behold. It was so white and bright and brilliant that when the sun hit it, it seemed like it was on fire. And the Jews, they were so proud of this structure, this building, that they thought it would stand forever. But guess what? 40 years after Jesus gave that prophecy, Titus from Rome would march into Jerusalem with his armies. He would tear down the gate. He would kill everyone, children, women, and even the animals. And the Jews, they ran into the temple and they shut the doors, thinking that, that, that Titus and his armies would have regard for the temple. But what does Christ say about this temple? Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? For verily I say unto thee, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Even the disciples, they were so proud about this temple that when they came out, as they were walking out, they were boasting about the temple, truly this would be the Mecca, the center of the kingdom of the world because Jesus was with us. And Jesus, look, now it's time to take your rightful throne. They were so proud pointing at this temple. But Jesus said what? Not even one stone, not even one stone would be left on top of another. Friends, how is that even possible? You see, Titus, when he finally went into the temple and he had killed everybody, that temple was set on fire and everything was destroyed. But why is it that one stone would not be left on top of another? You see, historians, they recall that when the fire cooled, all the gold that had been melted, well, you see, there was so much, as you study the sanctuary, there's a lot of gold in the temple and even those gold-plated roofs, the domes, all that had melted and it had run down the masonry, run down the stones and down the bricks. And in order for the looters to come in and get that gold, they had to take chisels 
and hammers and dislodge all the stones and get that gold. They had to take it down piece by piece. As a result, God's word was fulfilled to the very T. The prophecy that Christ gave 40 years earlier came to pass, just as Christ said it would. Not even one stone on top of another. You see, friends, His word is true. His word today will stand forever. Even though heaven and earth will pass away, His word would not. And friends, Christ said in His word today in John 14, verses 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Friends, Jesus is coming back again. I want to remind you of that even today. Even as so many of us, we are able to set our affections on things of earth. I want to remind you that God, Jesus himself said, I will come again. And we have a hope of something better. We have a hope of something more glorious. We have a hope that someday all sorrow, sickness and pain and death will be taken away. We have a hope of a new and perfect body. But friends, what will we be taking with us to heaven? It's right here. It's our brains. It's our character. And today, God, He wants to transform that. He's left His Word behind to help us with that very thing, our characters. In Psalms 119 verse 9, we're told, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. He can cleanse our way. He can cleanse our life. He can cleanse our minds. He can make us like Christ. And though we might have broken bodies, sicknesses in our bodies, pains that we feel on a daily basis, God says, I can change your character and give you hope for a future immortal body that I'll make perfect, much more beautiful, much more handsome, much more functional than what we have today. And he also promised that he would give us the Holy Spirit to aid in that change as well. John 16, 7 to 8, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's the one that will guide us right here, friends, in our hearts, in our minds. He's the one that will speak to us. He's the one that will prompt us when we're doing bad. He's the one that will encourage us to do better. He will lift us out from the pit of despondency and despair that so many of us are in today because of situational factors like COVID-19 and loss of job or loss of health or loss of a loved one or loss of money or loss of even necessary things like food and the clothes on our back. Friends, it's time for us to get back to the Word of God today. It's time for us to refocus, for we stand in desperate need of it. If we would pay heed, friends, to the Word of God, we could close all our prison doors. 
If we would pay heed to the word of God, we wouldn't have to lock our doors at night. It would be safe to walk on the streets and in our neighborhoods all the time, at any time. There'd be no racism. There'd be no corruption. There would be one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we would be together in one common denomination. The world, the word, my friends, will clean you up. It'll put an intelligent look on your face. And this is why the devil hates the word of God so much. And he's tried to destroy it through the centuries. But faithful men and women have died to protect it and bring it to our time so that we could read it, so that we could digest it, so we could spend time in it and have this privilege to hold communion with our God and our Savior. And so today, friends, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to believe God, to believe His Word, to believe His prophets. Second Chronicles 20, 20. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe His prophets, and so shall ye prosper. God, He wants to establish us today. He wants to prosper us today. And today, I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm not asking you to follow me. I want you to believe God. I want you to believe His Word. I want you to study His Word, not any man's opinion, but to study the Bible. And He will prosper you. He will bless you. He will give you all that your heart desires because your heart will then be like His. So friends, as we're coming to a close I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. A close of our lockdown in Malaysia. You know, we're not in a lockdown in a sense, but we just, we can't open church. Since March 2020, we've only been open for two months. Two months. And many of us were missing that fellowship. Others, you got used to staying at home. And I believe that many of us were changed in many ways for the worse, but we got to come back to His Word that even though it's been difficult to have fellowship with each other, we can still hold communion in His Word today. And so friends, I'm determined that God's Word would be my guide today. How about you? You have to be determined as well, friends. May God grant us the grace and the mercy and the strength that is needed to spend time in His Word, for truly, we need it now more than ever before. You know, they say 200 years ago, there was a, only 100 temptations that man could face from, from physical objects out there, from the, the desires of this life. But today, it's countless. Men are thinking and inventing of things that we've never thought of or that we ever needed. Today, temptations abound on every side, countless and relentless to distract us and to destroy us. Friends, we need to refocus. This is the uncanny truth. This is the obscure truth because many of us have forgotten it. We've forgotten it. We have left it behind. And so today, friends, I want to encourage you to strengthen your journey with Christ, your walk with Christ. Come back to Him. Yes, if we would just make His Word our foundation, everything would be all right. 
And so today, let's refocus. Let's come back. Let's be vigilant. Let's keep watch and keep our eyes open and fixed on His Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your word. Oh, so many of us, we, we, we have the word in possession, but we just, just do not treasure it anymore. We have other priorities. We have other hobbies and desires and things that just distract us and pull us away all the time. Oh, Father, please help us today to refocus. Help us to see the promises and help us to remember that you're coming so very soon. Lord, please, we in a way the affections that we have on this earth as we spend time in your word, that you transform our hearts and our desires and our motives and our priorities and our taste buds in every which way, that you would help us to get a glimpse of heaven, that this world would just become so strangely dim. And so, Father, please, help us to refocus that we might see Jesus in your word again today. Bless us, O Lord, and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.